0: one welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina and today's such a cool day cuz I'm here with my former colleague Jade Martinez Pogue and wow this is so cool such a treat cuz we spent you know some time working together at News Hawk and uh and she went on to KYT and did incredible things there and Um, We keep in touch a little bit, but it's so nice to be able to have like a real conversation with you. Uh, Thanks. Such a pleasure that you would take time on this uh, holiday week to to talk. How are you doing, Jade?
1: Yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks for asking me to be on. Um, I've still kept up with Santa Barbara local news. I have, you know, a number of friends who are still in the media news industry there so i still feel very connected to santa barbara and i miss it a lot
0: <laughs> oh yeah and uh you know we all miss you and your journalism uh, so much too so uh, this is why it's so cool i know uh, people are going to want to know what you're up to so let's <laughs> let's dive into uh what you're doing these days uh, you are working at law 360 and so i guess you're covering uh courts and the legal system and uh, I don't know corporations and all these things. So maybe help me understand what your your new career is, your new job is. You're still doing journalism, but it's you know kind of this niche focus. What is Law 360, and what are you up to?
1: Yeah, so it's actually um, a pretty interesting organization. So our primary readership is attorneys and um, law firms. So we're writing these legal news analyses and stories, but kind of with the focus on how it impacts lawyers or what it means for the legal industry, um, which was definitely a big transition from working in local news and telling the stories of the community and your neighbors. And now I'm writing for an audience of, you know, lawyers (laughs) who I don't even think I knew a lawyer before starting this job um probably a good thing yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um I specifically cover like mergers and acquisitions and private equity so more of the business side of law um and just for the audience to know I was a failed econ major in college so (laughs) doing this um It was a little intimidating jumping in and to be completely transparent, it's not the most exciting topic out there, you know, Um, but there are aspects to it that I've learned to really enjoy. And I've noticed that in these industries like private equity, where there's just billions and billions of dollars, um, it's kind of funny to see how these people who have that money react in conflict and there's a level of pettiness involved in some of the deals that i find pretty interesting to write about so um it's been a fun challenge i've learned a lot um
0: yeah (laughs) so uh, let me just kind of drill down to the journalism a little bit i mean from what we know doing local journalism at NewsHawk, and and you know you're doing a little bit differently at kyt but it involves the story of the day. You're talking to a couple of people, you're doing some research, you're getting balance and context and you're writing fairly quickly. And then maybe you have kind of a longer term project and our goal is to be truthful and to write for a mass audience. And we need to write the stories in a way that are the most impactful to the most amount of people. And when you work sort of for a you know a B two B or like you know you work specifically for a, an industry or a business or a community, the the writing's different. The reporting's different. Um, can you talk a little bit about about your process? Are you are you looking at press releases? Are you on the phone with 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 attorneys? Uh, who, how, what is your sourcing like? How do you go about developing your stories?
1: Yeah, so I'd say day to day. I do a lot of just daily news stories, which with those, I will look at press releases or SEC filings, mm-hmm. um court documents to get the story out of that. And then my communication with lawyers or PR people is primarily through email just for these daily stories because I'll just ask quick clarifications of stuff like that. but um, About once or twice a quarter, I guess, um, I work on feature stories, which I have found to really enjoy. They're usually broader, like trends in the industry, Um, you know, inflation is doing this to private equity fundraising, stuff like that. And so for that, I have kind of developed a list of PR people from the big law firms, and I've been able to maintain like good relationships with them. So if I have a specific story, I can say, you know, I'm writing about this topic, which partner do you think would be the best person to talk to? And um, I think probably one of the most difficult parts of this job has been interviewing the lawyers and the attorneys, um, especially on a topic that I didn't have any Background knowledge or experience reporting on. Um, I found myself sticking very much to the written out questions that I had before. Whereas I feel like in local news, I had an idea of what I wanted to ask, but it was more conversational. You know, you're sitting down, you're chatting with your source. Um, and I just found myself so rigid because I didn't know enough about the topic to really kind of dive into the questions. Um, so that's improved a little bit but I think that's definitely been a challenge is you know talking to these experts on a subject that I'm not too familiar with and then their colleagues are the ones who are reading the story so if I mess something up they're gonna call me out on it you know it's not gonna fly under the rug
0: <laughs> right and you know I um when I worked for the San Jose Mercury News, I looked at a few SEC filings because of uh, Silicon Valley, you know, mm-hmm. and it, I, it was a lot more business reporting than I did and not sort of like talking to a business and doing a little feature kind of stuff, um, but like digging into how businesses are accountable to their their stockholders mm-hmm. and looking at deep into what's going on in terms of the the corporation and the spending and where the money is going. And those reads are like not easy. I mean, yeah. you might as well just pick up a encyclopedia and like try to read it upside down. Right. It takes yeah. time. Like, what is this? Can, can you talk about understanding that world and, and the, the amount of time that goes into vocabulary terminology? Because, because we know, I mean, we take pride in our work. You don't want to get on an interview with somebody who's going to talk down to you. And when you're talking to somebody who's in this niche industry and we're generalists, we're kind of experts on everything for a day and we move on to the next thing. Right. Uh, What is that process like when you first looked at your first filing SEC, you know, exchange filing? Like what is going through your mind and how do you how do you deal with that?
1: Yeah, it was definitely very intimidating, but I think I was fortunate uh, with the team that I'm on at Law360. I have a very good boss who was in my role for, I think, at least seven years before he went on to a manager position. So he's been very helpful in um, just mentoring me and I can, you know, ask what does private equity mean, and he'll tell me um, stuff like that. But I've done a lot of googling throughout, and I keep a notebook at my desk. So every time I run into a term or phrase that I don't recognize or I don't understand, I'll look it up. I'll write it down. So I kind of have like a rolling lists of definitions. Yeah. And as I see these terms more and more, I get a bit more comfortable with them. Um, but I think I really just had to like swallow my pride a lot and in interviews. If a source said something and I didn't understand what it meant, I just have to ask them to explain it. And, you know, that's always a little difficult. You don't want to sound like you're dumb or you don't know what you're talking about. But You know, if I don't ask what that means, I'm not going to be able to use the content at all if I don't understand it. So I think that's been a a kind of challenging task that I've had to learn at this job.
0: Yeah, but it's so important that we do that because we have to remember when we're doing these interviews, Why are we doing it? We're not doing them for ourselves. We're doing it because we want to inform an audience, whether it's a mass audience or whether it's a niche audience of experts in their field. It's our job to explain it. And so we're kind of uh, sacrificing, you know, ourselves a bit by saying, explain these terms to me because there's going to be a benefit down the road to your readership. And that's why journalists exist. Like if you didn't have journalists, you'd have a lot of people who don't understand how things work. And therefore, they're less empowered to make decisions that affect their lives. If you only have the experts with the knowledge and the information, they're the ones who only have the power. And so it's it's yeah, it is humbling, but it's also brave because, you know, you're doing something that you're going to explain to an audience that has fantastic sort of uh you know, potential results and and impact. Jade, I want to ask you about the model there at Law360. Is is it subscription? Uh, People pay for it? Uh, You know, I know you sent me a couple of links and I'm like, I can't read this, you know, and um, so talk to me about that and, and how that works. And what's that like for you sort of knowing that not anyone can read what you do?
1: Yeah, so it is a subscription only news organization. Um obviously I have a I don't have to pay for my subscription because I work there, but so I don't really know how much it costs if it's a year to year subscription or month to month. Um but I will admit like that's not my favorite thing in the world. You know, I can't send my articles to my parents or my friends to read them. Um, And it also is a little humbling because on our like internal system where I like submit my stories, I can see how many people viewed it. And sometimes it's not a lot of people. (laughs) So um, that can get a little discouraging because I think part of the reason I went into the journalism field is because I like telling stories that will impact the community and hopefully help them in some way or another. And if my stories aren't reaching people, I can't necessarily do that. Um, But yeah, so I think it's a subscription service and we send out newsletters. So if you're a subscriber, you can go through and you can check which newsletters you want to receive. Um, and then those go out every day, every morning. Mm. Um, and I think that's where we get most of our reads from is those newsletters. So we're really big on like tagging articles and making sure every category is checked.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's really interesting. You know, um, when you have it free, right. You know, story gets a couple thousand reads or, you know, it takes off, you know, you might get like 10,000 reads or something like that. And then when you're reading something that's like B2B, it's just it's like it's smaller, of course. But at least you know those people are reading it, are really reading every word of that story. So, gosh,
1: some of my stories get six views, and that's yeah. not even an exaggeration,
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> but those six views, though, you know, they, they were...
1: really like me,
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I want to talk to you about the stories you cover. What's been the biggest or most memorable or most interesting story that you've covered so far?
1: Yeah. So um, I think one like really good thing about this job is that I've been able to cover some of these bigger national and sometimes even international news stories and they are business related, but like I have covered the Albertsons and Kroger merger, which is a very big one. Um for in the sports world, I was writing multiple stories about the merger between PGA Tour and Live or L I V Golf. And I was covering that before the merger announced. Um so I found it fun to like this job has allowed me to report on some of these bigger topics um that I wasn't able to do in local news. Um But I think one of my favorite things to cover is shareholder activism. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's essentially a company has a board and an investor who wants to like make change at the company comes in and they either do it because, you know, their stock prices are down or they want the company to focus more on diversity or, you know, environmental practices. So they kind of buy up all these shares, come in and get in a fight with the board to make change. Um, And like there's been a pretty big uh, campaign against Disney that I think like wrapped up. But I found those sorts of stories kind of interesting because I learned a lot about these huge corporations that, you know, I just never really thought about before.
0: Yeah. It, when you have those characters, there's this conflict, right? You have a board, somebody comes in, shakes it up. Um, it's, it's exciting, right? That's yeah. what you do is sort of capture that, that conflict. Who's going to survive? Who's going to be the last person standing, right? When, exactly. or not the last person, the who's going to be voted off the <laughs> Island, you know, yeah. how's that going to impact the organization? Uh, Jade, I want to ask you about your company and the recent uh, union i guess dispute or negotiations that are going on i've been covering the santa barbara teachers association and i've covered a whole lot of labor disputes over my career and um i've been represented by a union in in san jose and the mercury news and i gotta say that journalism needs unions um they they absolutely do when i got hired at the mercury news they're like here's how many years of experience you have. So you're automatically right here. This is how much you're going to earn as a floor. And um, then there's these other skills you have. So we're going to bump you up maybe, you know, and so there's such protections for the worker and it makes it feel like you're valued. And I understand it's hard to run a business. It's hard to have payroll and These people make great sacrifices to run a company. And generally, a lot of these companies are kind of like not supportive of unions, especially with a smaller (laughs) company. But they really are there to protect the worker and value the worker and make sure the worker's not exploited. And it sounds like you are with an organization that's kind of going through all that for the first time in your career. So can you kind of outline the issue and talk about your experience doing this?
1: Yeah, so it's actually been pretty interesting because I started at Law360 about a year ago, so at the end of October 2022. And our contract expired in December 2022. So kind of right off the bat, I was thrown into bargaining and negotiations. And I didn't even know much about the company at that time, you know. Um, But it's been really interesting. So It's been almost a year. We don't have a contract yet. Um, It's taking, I didn't really know what to expect, to be completely honest, but I wasn't really expecting it to take this long. Um, We've had to fight tooth and nail on little issues uh, like diversity, giving our diversity committee enough money so that they can meet and not have to like take. PTO to hold their meetings Um, we've been arguing to get Juneteenth as because it's a federal holiday it's recognized as a federal holiday but we don't get it off we get a floating holiday which forces you know people who celebrate other holidays and of other cultures will have to choose between taking you know just taking it off. Mm -hmm. Um, Remote work is a big one that we've been fighting for. Uh, Our company sold our office, but they still want to retain the right to bring employees in whenever they want, which Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's just been really interesting. I think we're at the point in our bargaining where we're really starting to ramp things up. And we've been talking about potentially doing work stoppages. Um, We haven't talked about a strike yet, but I know if it gets to that point, that's something that we would have to vote on. And in theory, that always sounds exciting. But then when you think about it, um, you know, I have rent to pay. I have bills to pay. So it's a little scary, but it's really cool to see I think there's about 200 people in my union. So it's really cool to see everyone come together and the power that it has when you have 200 people telling management that we deserve better.
0: Yeah. Well, it's such an incredible experience and opportunity for you to go through at this stage of your career because you as a journalist and you'll – Work for lots of different organizations, probably you know, over your, your lifetime. Um, you're advocating for people. You're advocating for a certain audience in terms of providing them information, and you write about these these heroes, these people who take these stands, and you know these attorneys who take these risks, and and there's all these things that are you're writing about about the community and the world, and occasionally those things happen to journalism, journalists in their own industry. And so it's important that you stand up for yourself and stand up for your fellow employees and, and organization and be in that battle, because no matter what happens at the end, you'll be in a better situation, the employees, than 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 where you started. And it's so important in journalism, too, because we're all underpaid, right? I mean, every <laughs> journalist is underpaid, so we need to have a group that organizes for ourselves and what about caesar chavez day is that a part of your thing that's sort of curious because i know that like um one of the places i teach cal state northridge they we get that day and i remember when i found out we got that day i was like wow that's incredible because almost no other place like gives that i
1: don't think i've ever heard of
0: that yeah you know maybe some government does um so you're kind of in the mix there. Um, how does that affect your day to day? I mean, does, do you just do your work or do you have a uh, meetings with people on the side or how does that affect
1: yeah. you? Yeah. Um, I haven't been too involved in the actual like bargaining process. Um, yeah. I think primarily because it started while I was so new, I didn't have much to say because, you know, I didn't really know how the company worked at that point. Um, Um, But we have like our union representatives who tell us we're going to do an email action today or we want you to post this on Twitter or LinkedIn. And so I'll participate in, you know, whatever union action that they tell us. And sometimes I'll listen in. We're allowed to listen in to the bargaining sessions. It's just over Zoom. Um, But those always take place during the workday. And because I'm not on the actual bargaining committee, uh, I don't get time off to do those so if i'm not too busy or maybe on my lunch break i'll hop on um but yeah
0: that's cool and then uh you recently started to dabble again into sort of uh you know traditional journalism or writing for a mass audience Uh, you guess you did a piece a freelance piece for a local paper can you talk about that and i mean were you like two in the morning? You're like, I need to write a news story like like I used to, and I'm going to find a way or talk to me about, because yeah. people who aren't in journalism don't understand that yearning, that calling of wanting to, I just I need to be a reporter today, you know, so talk about that.
1: Yeah, I think I definitely was missing talking to people. Um, I do interviews every now and then for those feature stories that I was talking about earlier, but day to day, I'm not talking to people. I'm not interviewing sources on the phone or, you know, meeting up with sources. And I really miss doing that. Like, I love the human interaction. I love hearing people's stories. And, you know, you come across so many characters when you're in journalism, especially local journalism. Um, But I think one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to get back into local news is, you know, moving to the East Coast was a huge culture shock to me um everyone is so busy and everyone's got their own things going on um and i felt uh pretty early on i realized that i felt a lack of community and i would compare it to how i felt in santa barbara and i think Probably a lot of the reason why I felt so connected to Santa Barbara was that I was there from when I was 18 to 24, so some pretty formative years in my life. But I think a lot of it is how much I knew about Santa Barbara that I learned through reporting, you know, I... If I was watching a city council meeting and they called some person's name, I could be like, "Okay, this is going to be like a really fiery comment or I know what stance they're going to take. Because you watch so many of those meetings that you feel like, you know, the person and especially being a general assignment reporter, which is what I was at NewsHawk, you cover so many different subjects from weather story to city council, board of supervisors, high school graduations, you know, just everything under the sun. And you really develop a sense of community from doing that because you're putting yourself in the community and you're learning about it and you're talking to the people in it. And I think that's the main reason I wanted to do freelancing here is to start learning my community and building that deeper connection like i you know learned to grow in santa barbara
0: yeah and did you just cold call like send them an email <laughs> and say hey can i write for you or how did that work
1: yeah so it's actually interesting before i moved here last year i was looking for new jobs um because i couldn't stay working at kyt from across the country believe it or not <laughs> um <laughs> And so I was just, I Googled local news organizations and just sent my resumes everywhere. And I had connected with the editor of the Jersey City Times, which is the paper I freelance for um, a year ago. And he was really interested, he needed the help. He couldn't hire me full time though, um, because it's a fairly new news organization. I mean, just didn't have the resources to bring on a full-time employee. So I couldn't commit myself full-time to that. You know, I had to find a job that could pay me to live here. Um, But I've kept a relationship with the editor every now and then. And I recently moved into Jersey City um, before I was in a couple neighborhoods over. And so I just reached back out and I was like, hey, I know it's been a year, um, but if you still need help, I'm happy to be here you know I have extra time in my day and just give me anything that you have and uh, I was kind of nervous because you know there's a possibility that he could say no I don't need you like I needed you last year (laughs) and you didn't help me (laughs) yeah Um, but no he was um, receptive to it and I think something that I've had to learn with freelancing is setting a boundary also because I want to take on stories and I want to do more local journalism, but I have to remind myself that I do have another full-time job that Mm -hmm. takes priority. And so before I would get a little overwhelmed because the editor of the Jersey City Times would send me all these stories and I want to take them. But realistically, I just didn't have the bandwidth to do so. So I have kind of had to learn to express myself and communicate that more um but since I've been able to do that it's been pretty good and I'm excited to be able to you know be in the community uh doing that work again
0: yeah that's fantastic um I I do want to say that your rise so to speak you know your success so far um you know your mid-20s 25 I guess I don't know but um like (laughs) It's great. It's impressive. And you're very much a role model for, I think, young journalists, because it can be really easy to settle. It can be really easy to get comfortable, it can be real easy to just sort of feel like this is my ceiling because it feels good. But you are aspirational. And I mean that in a in a good way. Right. You're always thinking like, what's what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And I want to get better both to my own personal fulfillment, but also, of course, economically, financially and just growth and development and so it's so cool that you are so ambitious because that's the best part of being a journalist and really being a human being is setting goals and trying to achieve them and eventually you're going to achieve everything you want and you are not somebody who's like you know i'll just stay at newshawk forever because it's easy right you're like wow i i'm worth more and I want more, and I want more experiences, and I'm going to go out and, and find them, so I think that that's, that's awesome, and if we think about like 10 years from now, you know, what, what you're going to be doing, it's going to be amazing, right, we have no clue, you know, if you've done this much already. I want to say, Jade, because I do follow you on Instagram, and I do see your uh, your photography, right, it, it looks like you're living the good life, like the glamorous life in New York, and you know, you're you're kind of just in these beautiful backgrounds, backdrops, these incredible settings, and you look really happy. Can you talk about the the lifestyle, the culture of, of what it's like to be in New York, New Jersey, the East Coast? And um, obviously, it's different than Santa Barbara, but uh, talk about <laughs> the lifestyle there.
1: Yeah, I it's definitely different than Santa Barbara, uh, and I love Santa Barbara, but I think you know, it's just objectively a little bit slower pace of life there. You know, it's a beach town. Um, and here, I think I mentioned it earlier. And the thing that probably surprised me the most is just how fast the pace of life is. That everyone is busy and everyone's doing their own thing. And I think at first that contributed to my like lack of the sense of community, but also in a way I've gained confidence because I realized that no one cares what I'm doing. No one's watching me because everyone is just so like lasered in on whatever's going on and whatever event they have to get to or stuff like that. Um, But what I like about where I'm at right now is I'm in Jersey city. So it's right across the water from Manhattan. It's like a seven minute subway ride to get there. Um, so, I can be in that populated, busy area and I can go do things there, but then I can come back. And I'd say Jersey City is probably like a mid sized city. We have skyscrapers, there's lots of restaurants and bars and stuff, but it's not like so compact. Um, and the neighborhood I'm in is like, it is a neighborhood. There are a lot of, families here but there are a lot of young people it's just so diverse um so I'm really happy with where I am right now and that I've kind of learned to uh take the busyness and not see it as like a isolating aspect but like a way to use it to kind of empower myself if that make sense?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, it does, because, you know, I grew up in Goleta, Santa Barbara, and even to this day, I always feel, like, judged, I always feel like people are, like, kind of, you know, looking, what are you doing, who are you, <laughs> like, like, I always feel like, and and that's not, like, an ego thing, I always feel like people are paying attention to me, like, there's something, what's wrong with me, or why why are people looking at me, like, why do they care, but when I worked in the Bay Area, when I worked in uh, San Jose, which is the 10th biggest city in the country and a total melting pot, this is the first time I ever felt like no one cares anything about you. You're just another person in this sea of diverse people. And you would think that would be lonely, but it was actually incredibly empowering because yeah, I felt, yeah, I, I felt like, wow, I can just be me. I don't have to worry what anyone else thinks of me. I can just be me and that growth was was incredible and I think it's one of the benefits of being around different cultures and lifestyles and generations because you're just like no one's judging me but what that means is I can do anything I want because I'm fearless now you know and so I, I can kind of kind of understand that have you done all the New Yorker things like uh Rockefeller Center and you know uh Times Square and have you been to you know the the 9-11 you know the 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 new towers I mean have you done those kind of things what do you think of New York
1: yeah I've done I think I did a lot of those things pretty early on you know Empire State Building Statue of Liberty all of that Um, and they're definitely exciting like when you first do them and I think everyone should like do the Statue of Liberty or go to Times Square once. But I think after being here a while, I've realized that those things are kind of like the worst parts about New York City. Like I hate Times Square. It is so crowded. It's like hard to walk. It's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Like it's so cool to see all the billboards and especially like at nighttime, it looks like it's daytime because the lights are just so bright. Um, But what I really have found that I like most about the city is all the different like neighborhoods and communities. Um, my favorite part, you can walk through Soho and then Little Italy and then Chinatown all on the same street. Like you can stay on the same street and go through three different neighborhoods um, and you can see the way the shops change and it's uh, it's just so diverse. And I yeah, it's really cool. <laughs>
0: The buildings the architecture is so mm-hmm. impressive just the modern things the historical Beautiful. things it's just like whoa i can't believe this because i've been to new york once and um i just remember thinking wow it's like so many people and it's so fast-paced and yeah everyone's just doing everything all the time and like i just, it was just blew my mind um when it was there but it was so cool i loved it mm-hmm. um let's talk a little bit jade about some uh you know not personal stuff but some of our common interests uh, related to popular culture and um you know you you one of one of the cool things of working with you was um you know also like you know in addition to being inspired by your journalism be like i gotta keep up with her you know she's really good uh is being able to talk about some you know pop culture things and we talked about taylor swift a lot when (laughs) you were here and uh now you know she just became a billionaire did you see that yeah. story like she's legit yeah. billionaire now and i don't know if you've seen the movie or not but uh she's still like growing 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 she's almost i, I don't know this is old person she's almost madonna level you know maybe she's surpassed <laughs> madonna i don't know but uh she's big right she's forever yeah. going to be part of our pop culture and now she's messing up the nfl no i'm kidding she's dating <laughs> travis kelsey so uh What's what's going on with your uh, Taylor Swift, uh, you know, adoration? And yeah. what do you think of her relationship with Travis Kelsey and all the attention she's getting for that?
1: Well, I think first off, just to start with, like, her fandom or her fame right now is that, you know, I've been a fan of Taylor Swift since I was in, like, second grade when she put out her first album. And then as she put out more and more music, I always thought, like, okay, she's getting more and more popular, um, but the level of fame that she's risen to right now, like, I always think she's at the peak of her career, and then it explodes even more. Um, I'm sure you saw that, I forget which news organization, but uh, one of, like, the national news organizations hired a Taylor Swift reporter recently, (laughs) like to analyze the impacts that she has because like Jade, I just was, want to know
0: did you put in your application have you already done I that?
1: was going to I was going to <laughs> but you needed a video submission and like that's I'm not that great and my boyfriend refused to film me for that so <laughs> um no but I wanted to um but it's just crazy like she'll post that it's election day in these states and you'll see voter registration spike in those states like the amount of impact she has is like unbelievable and it's scary kind of like I'm a fan and I'm kind of like okay people need to like calm down a little bit
0: yeah, um, that's a song lyric right there Yeah, <laughs> need to
1: calm down. <laughs> <laughs> but I do I really like her relationship with Travis Kelsey I think in the past she's stuck to people who are in similar like a similar industry, either in music or film and acting. And obviously I'm not famous, but like I can, um, I can see how someone couldn't in a similar industry could maybe get intimidated by her success and her level of fame. And so I think with someone who is huge in their, very very different industry you know sports football uh there's no competing at all and i think i saw that like travis kelsey had a dating show a couple years ago like this dude obviously loves to be in the spotlight (laughs) he's not scared of it and i think like that's the kind of thing that she needs because at her level of fame right now they're really i imagine it's very hard to get privacy
0: so yeah so do you have this sense of, like, oh, you know, I'm a real Taylor Swift fan because I, I knew her from the beginning, and I've been listening to her. To, do you kind of get bugged? What kind of, like, how everybody now loves her?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't really care that, like, you know, everybody now loves her. I do think that, like, I'll be a fan till the day I die, but I can admit, like, I think her newer music is worse than her older music. Um, I think... The Red album, like everything after that, uh, with exception, maybe like the pandemic albums were really good. (laughs) But um, I sometimes like when I see these newer fans who are like, oh, I just heard this new song called You Belong With Me. Like that came out in 2008, like when I was a kid.
0: Um,
1: And it's really interesting because I have younger sisters And I have a one who just turned 13 in October and she is obsessed with Taylor Swift right now, like insanely obsessed. And like, I love Taylor Swift, but kind of watching her, I'm like, Oh, Rose, like, come (laughs) on, (laughs) stop it. Uh Um, But no, I think it's, I think it's cool. I think a reason why she has such a, strong fan base is that people feel really connected to her music and you know can use it as an outlet for their feelings or whatever so i don't think it's ever a negative thing
0: yeah well she, you know she did five nights in uh um, la at whatever forgetting the name of the stadium there but the, see it's a hundred thousand people and what's interesting about her is you know certainly because i'm older and my my sort of peer groups different than yours is A lot of, like, middle-aged moms love Taylor Swift, too. And I think that's, like, her audience has kind of doubled because my Instagram feed, like, every mom around my age who went to take their daughter to the show, I mean, they're dressed up. Like, they're, like, wearing formal wear, and they're um, excited. And so I think Taylor Swift kind of appeals to the moms, too, the music. Mm that's also what's driving this is it's it unites uh moms and daughters to be able to to sing in the car you know or just kind of rock out and you know moms and children or whatever but mostly moms and daughters are bonding over this music and usually don't see that usually the music is kind of a a backlash are different than the parents' music. You know, uh, my kids will listen to Alanis Morissette and they'll like a few of their songs, but um, I don't think it's the same level of what I enjoy about her. Yeah. So, so it's sort of interesting. Jade, you have a big trip plan. You're you're going yeah. somewhere to watch Taylor Swift. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to Amsterdam to watch Taylor Swift. Um wow. I couldn't obviously. I would have gone to a show in the U.S., um, but I couldn't get tickets with the whole Ticketmaster thing. And I didn't really know. I guess you had to sign up for specific dates. And I only signed up for one because I thought I just needed one to get, you know, whatever, tickets to the tour. Um, So I wasn't able to get tickets for the U.S. And so in the European leg was announced, I was like, why not? Um, And I woke up at 2 a.m. to get in the queue for these tickets because it was on Amsterdam time. Um, I didn't even know what tickets I got because the whole page was in Dutch. I just looked <laughs> for one that was like in my price range, and I bought three. I'm going with two of my friends. Um, one of them is Lily Dallow from KYt. I've heard
0: of her, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> um, and so after I got the tickets, I like Google translated the page because I was just trying to go fast, like make sure they were in my cart, make sure I got them. Um, and it turns out I got floor seats. So yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, Still have to buy a flight to Amsterdam, which is, that'll be expensive. But um, yeah, no, I'm excited. I've never been to Amsterdam. um, And it'll be just like a fun, fun trip to go see my favorite artist. (laughs)
0: Yeah, uh, that's so cool. Well, you know, you were reading those SEC, you know, filings. So I'm sure that it prepared you for reading the Dutch, you know, website. You're like, I yeah. can <laughs> I can figure this out. I know it knows.
1: <laughs>
0: so um I do have to say, and I guess this is outing a little bit of private thing, but I want to address it head on was uh Garrett does not is not a Taylor Swift fan, right? If <laughs> yeah. you are, how do you navigate, you know, a household where, you know there's over taylor swift
1: yeah well i can like listen to it in the car you know we can do that i think he just um doesn't like to talk about her a lot (laughs) and so like you know i love pop culture i love entertainment news i eat it up so i just have found like other friends to talk about that too when I see oh did you see that video of Taylor running to hug Travis at the Argentina show you know he just doesn't care about that (laughs) I feel it's very understandable (laughs) right
0: (laughs) have you seen the Eras movie yet
1: yeah I did I wouldn't go I saw it by myself for the it's the first time I've ever seen a movie by myself so that was a big experience for me
0: and were you Um, in a room with a bunch of 10 year old girls or was it a diverse crowd (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> no I saw it pretty late on probably like a month after it came out yeah. so the theater wasn't crazy packed um there was like a very like there's some older women there There were you know little five-year-olds it was a pretty big mix um I really liked the movie I think I would have liked it more had I seen the show like live in person oh, yeah. beforehand because it really it is just the concert that filmed yeah. um and I probably would have had more fun if I went with a friend and not by myself, but <laughs> it was still good.
0: Well, you can stream it one day. Pack yeah. the house with whatever <laughs> you want. I do have to say though, in my household, we are definitely team Olivia because, um, you know, I know and they have their rivalry too, that I yeah. like jumped into. I guess Olivia, like one of her songs sounds like endless summer or cruel summer. Cruel
1: summer. And, <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> she has to pay her royalties i don't even know what that's if that's what the conflict is over but yeah. um my nine-year-old daughter and i we've been watching high school musical the musical the series and mm-hmm. uh that's what livia blew up on that show right and uh she's incredible like she's so talented on that show like her songs are just like unreal it's so funny because in the show they're like you know the context of the casting like She's gonna be a star, she's gonna be a star. That's part of the storyline. And then she actually became a star, like in real <laughs> life, kind of thing. Where do you stand, Jade, on Olivia Rodrigo? Because the reason I even know about Olivia is because of you. And yeah. <laughs> went to a concert. And, and I remember, I remember this very distinctly. You said, You you know who Olivia Rodrigo is, right? I'm like, no. <laughs> like, like high school musical. Like, no, I don't know who she is. She's like, Josh, come on, come on. Driver's <laughs> license. I'm like,
1: Yeah. But now
0: you've unleashed a monster because, you know, I've watched way too many YouTube videos now. But where do you stand on her?
1: Um, I love her. Like, I love her music. I do think that maybe, like, I loved her first album. But I think with her second one, um, if I was, like, a couple years younger, it probably would have resonated with me more. Uh, I still think it's, like, so fun. She's got a lot of angry songs that I like to, you know, run to. She's got good running music. (laughs) Um, No, but I think she's incredibly talented, especially for her age. I think she's, like, what, 20 or maybe 21. Um, But she was definitely a teenager when she started. Um, And I, I can see, like, definitely parallels with her and Taylor and, just having this huge career at such a young age and being just really of a powerhouse of a, you know, female vocalist. Um, I, I'll i plead the fifth on their little feud. Uh, I can see both sides. Um, I don't know enough about the music industry to take a stance. Um, I could see why Taylor wanted her money and I could see why Olivia felt burned by that, so.
0: Yeah, well it's it is kind of cool though uh to see because 20 years old taylor swift i don't know she's in her mid-30s or something like that so um just two different parts of their career and all make both making great music that are impacting lots of people so what you're saying is you run really hard to vampire is that what you're saying is for olivia rodrigo's song is that the i one do that yeah is? i
1: like that one and the um what's the other one get him back I think is, uh, is one that I really like to run to.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's great catching up with you, Jade, and sort of talking about your uh, career and what you're doing now. And what are your, uh, as we wrap up, we are filming this over the holiday break and you have the incredible tree behind you, you know, so we're in that season. uh what are your plans for this uh, holiday uh, weekend and holiday uh, coming up?
1: Yeah, so uh, I think Garrett and I are going to go try and watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in person tomorrow, which is so cool because grew up watching it on TV. Um, I don't really know what to expect, but I'm expecting cold and crowded. But um, I think that's probably one of those other things that you have to do at least once if you're living here. Um, and Garrett has family in Connecticut, so we're just going to take the train over. It's like an hour and a half train ride. Um, I make my famous mac and cheese. It's very well-loved. So I'll be doing, contributing that for Thanksgiving.
0: Is there anything in the mac and cheese or is it just the mac and cheese? It's
1: like, it's a baked mac and cheese with like panko on top that you get all like golden brown. Um, It's always a hit. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Well,
0: always a pleasure and it's about one year since you've been there so it's perfect timing to, to check in and have a conversation with you and again you know you're doing fantastic um and and you're a role model inspirational you're doing exactly what you uh want to do and taking advantage of life and opportunities and it's so cool to watch your career grow and develop although we i i will say right now <laughs> i miss you in Newshawk for sure but uh <laughs> That's the way it goes. You're doing bigger and better things. So so, I might be back someday. Yes. Yes. And who knows, you know, maybe I'll still be around. I don't know. (laughs) But anyway, thanks a lot. Jade Martinez Pogue. uh, Appreciate your time.
1: Thank Thank you.